This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, in a Manhattan courtroom this week, Donald Trump was found to have been involved in fraud. But in another Manhattan court, an even bigger fraud was being dealt with. It involves a man called Sam Bankman-Fried. He is 31 years of age. He's very famous. He became a billionaire, as did his inner circle. They founded a company called FTX. They were dealing in cryptocurrency and they all became fabulously wealthy. They all came from wealthy backgrounds. They'd gone to Massachusetts Institute, MIT. It's a very famous and well-regarded institution in the United States. Now, the four are before a judge in Manhattan and three of them, I think, have pleaded guilty. But the main man, Sam Bankman-Fried, has pleaded not guilty. He faces a prison sentence of up to 10 years if he is found guilty. And we're joined now to discuss this case and all the issues that arise from it by Chris Johns, former chief economist of the Bank of Ireland, and now a respected commentator on all matters, including still matters concerning finance. Chris, This man, Sang Bankman-Fried, I'd heard of him years ago. He was a postal boy almost, wasn't he, for the cryptocurrency and getting rich very quickly. Getting rich very quickly and also being very well connected, Mm. um, particularly in what we would describe as the center-left of American politics. I think they would call them the progressive wing, various other labels apply. He's been seen hobnobbing with people like Bill Clinton. Yes. He's been, I think he's been seen with Tony Blair, actually, going back a few years. So he donated a lot of money to uh, the Democratic Party and other progressive causes. He um, was a a founder or a member of a a movement that is designed to get rich and give all your money away. So he certainly, on the face of it, seemed to be like a a reasonable human being. He certainly wasn't a a member of the Republican Party or a supporter of anything Donald Trump. To to the point where talking about giving his money away for political purposes and other charitable purposes, there's 
There's a new book out, actually. It was only published the day before yesterday. You might have heard of the author Michael Lewis. Yes, indeed. He wrote about the crash as well, and yes. the film was made of one of his books, I believe. Several of his books, actually. Um, yes. you know, he's written a lot about sports and the use of mathematics in sport. The term moneyball was, was coined by him. And his original book was a very famous uh, financial market commentary going way back called Liar's Poker, yes. so, uh, which also, I think, was made into a film. So he's very one He's just published a book on guess who? Sam Bankman-Fried, who he spent, ironically, the last couple of years with uh, while writing this book. Yeah, The and, Big Short was another Yeah, that's another one of his. Wrote, yes. And um, the book about the American footballer, Michael Ur, was written uh, about him as well. Um, called The Blind Side, which was also a movie. So he's a very well-known author, and he's just written about Sam Bankman-Fried, and there's lots in this book, which is really, really interesting. Um, but one anecdote, going back to that point about political donations and, and politics, is that Lewis writes about being on a plane with Bankman-Fried, and as they're about to land, he overhears Bankman-Fried and his acolytes discussing the money that they're planning to give to the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, which is in the millions, okay in order for him to strengthen uh, non-Trump candidates. So that's a bit Machiavellian. But then I think Lewis's jaw dropped when he overheard him saying, well, what can we pay Trump not to run at all? So yes. this must have been in about 2016, one right. would imagine. And yes. the figure of five billion was mentioned. Yeah. And it was obviously not clear whether they thought that was a good or a bad idea, or possible at least, and they clearly never did it. But this is the kind of universe in which they inhabited. This is the kind of money that they were able to think about chucking around. So yes, he was um, somebody, a ma he was a maths geek, as you say. These All of these guys who went to MIT were prodigious mathematicians. And in Lewis's book, there's lots of anecdotes about them playing very numerical probabilistic games when they were interning at various Wall Street firms. It gets very mathematical very, very quickly, but they clearly could do mental arithmetic very fast. They were in a bookies calculating odds. They would be very good at that sort of thing. Yeah, the the point that's fascinating is he's thirty one, and his co defendants are also young. Caroline Ellison, who ran the company that the fraud took place at, is called Alameda. She's twenty eight, and Gary Wang is a young man as well. And Nishad Singh, he was the youngest member of the group. And he went to a private school in California, the same one that Bankman Freed had attended. And after graduating from the University of California at Berkeley, he took what he believed was his dream job at Facebook, but spent the weekends and evenings working for Bankman Freed company Alameda, where the crypto project was being conducted. Now, how did they become famous and rich initially, Chris? Well, as you say, there are two firms involved in this scandal. All of these allegations, let's stress, they're all allegations. Um, there's FTX, which was an exchange for crypto. And what do I mean by that? That If you think of the, the Irish Stock Exchange, that is where firms that want to, on our behalf, come and trade shares um, in Irish companies. So shares in Bank of Ireland and AIB, if we want to buy or sell them, ultimately have to be executed by a stockbroker on the exchange. And so by analogy, this is what FTX did. If you wanted to buy or sell crypto, this was one way of doing it. It is by no means as regulated as 
tightly regulated as is something like the Irish Stock Exchange. This business um, was being run from the Bahamas, which gives you a kind of a clue as to what the regulatory environment would have been. Yes, But this is where trades, if you wanted to buy or sell Bitcoin, for example, and um, this is where you could do it. It wasn't the only way that you could buy or sell Bitcoin and lots of other crypto uh, coins, stable coins and other uh, things. Bankman Freed issued his own one, for example, and we're not quite sure where the money from all of that has gone. Alameda was a trading company that uh, I suppose would buy, again, it wasn't exactly the same thing as a hedge fund, but you're pr presumably familiar roughly with what a hedge fund is. It trades, you know, it makes bets yes. on financial markets. And Alameda. And it can short a currency. It can, do, it can do anything it wants to it do. It can short any company's share. And it can be deadly and was, in fact, part of the problem, wasn't it? The Big Short was the title of one of those books you refer to. Yes. And in the financial crisis of 2008 in the United States, they were shorting banks that eventually went pear-shaped, belly up, That's right. and they got rich. And there's lots of arguments about whether shorting is a social good or a social evil. People who do it think that it's very good, keeps markets honest, Governments in particular um, think that it generally think that it's a, a terrible thing and have often tried to outlaw it, but that's not the discussion for today. So Alameda was a trading house, FTX, uh, both owned by SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF is what we, how we refer to him by shorthand. He owned both these things. Now, this is like, and the, the metaphor isn't perfect, but it's the best I can do. This is like, imagine Eamon Dunphy owning Davy Stockbrokers and the Irish Stock Exchange. You are <laughs> yes. in full ownership and control of both these institutions. Now, there's nothing in principle wrong with that. Everything can still be very honest if you were the owner of Davy Stockbrokers or Good Body Stockbrokers or any other stockbroking firm and the Stock Exchange. The problem is when you are in charge of both those entities in an environment which probably isn't as tightly regulated as the Dublin market is, even in Dublin, in Dublin, you would not be allowed to do that full stop. But in the Bahamas, that sets up all sorts of potential for, at the very least, conflicts of interest. And it's alleged in this, in this courtroom, at the end of the day, what went on is that customer money that flowed through these exchanges into Alameda and back again disappeared. So it's third-party money. It's people who went, it would be like, you say you wanted to buy a share in Bank of Ireland, you go to Davy Stockbroker, you buy the share, you give them the, whatever it is, 100 euros to buy whatever shares you want to buy, and then you go back to them this time next year to say, I want to sell my shares in Bank of Ireland, and I want my 100 euros back. And they say, no. That's right. what happened. There was yesterday, to give you an example precisely of what happened in the New York courtroom, somebody called Marc-Antoine Juliard, um, who's a London-based commodities trader, trades of all things, cocoa beans. In financial markets, we can trade and go short. Yes, cocoa beans, anything you like. He diversified his own trading into cryptocurrency back in 2021, and he chose the platform FTX, the thing owned by SBF. And long story short, he bought some crypto, and then he went to withdraw $100,000 worth of that crypto and the cash that he had deposited on the exchange, and uh, there was nothing there, virtually nothing there. So right. he's, got, he's just one witness out of many, and the figures that I've seen uh, 
do sometimes amount to allegations of up to eight billion that's gone missing. Was this in effect a pyramid scheme? No, pyramid schemes are, are, slight, yes. are slightly different yes. to this. It's not a yeah. Ponzi scheme. This is this 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 is a, although it's got the veil of crypto and therefore stuff that's very modern, stuff that's very sophisticated, stuff that I suspect the jury will struggle to understand unless it explains them very very simply. If you strip away all that crypto, Bitcoin, blockchain language and all that stuff about uh, the difference between a trading house and an exchange, and simply say. This The allegation is that they took the money of third parties, customers, promised to buy stuff with that money, promised to keep that stuff safe yeah. until, they, until the, the customer decided to sell it. And they didn't do any of those things. They kept some of that customer money for themselves. And it's alleged to have gone to all sorts of different places. Properties for SBF and yes. his friends are, are one thing. Um, Trading bets that went wrong in Alameda is, I think, right. another allegation that, that, that they themselves were trading Alameda money, their own money, that went wrong, so they had to find the losses from somewhere. There are allegations about SBF's parents. Um, they were both law professors at Stanford. So these okay. these are people steeped in, you know, um, the, the 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 academic gentry of of America. But they, yes. the father at least, and if not the mother as well, I'm not sure. I can't remember about her took leave of absence from his university, both are law professors, and went to work for SBF. And within weeks, within the court documents, you can see emails from SBF's father to Sam Bankman-Fried complaining about his salary and expecting at least a million dollars. And so there's all this kind of stuff being chucked around. And the, the, the parents are being sued by the person now running FTX. In Ireland, I think we'd call him the liquidator. It goes by a different yes means in the United States. But that's that's what's happening. SBF is currently, um, FTX is currently bankrupt. In the, in America, you can come out the other side of bankruptcy sometimes if, if their equivalent of the liquidator was able to sort things out. And there is a possibility that FTX might make, make a comeback. Depends on how much of this money the, the liquidator manages to find. But the allegations are, you know, there are a long list of allegations. And you've said that S. BF might go to prison for 10 years. I've seen some people suggest that he might go to prison forever if he's found guilty of all the charges. Yes, they were all millennials. And that is remarkable too. One of them who has pleaded guilty, Nishad Singh, he was the youngest of the inner circle. There was an inner circle of four or five people. And he has pleaded guilty to fraud and campaign finance violations. And he said to the judge this week, your Honour, I'm unbelievably sorry for my role in all of this and the harm that it's caused. I'm hoping that in accepting responsibility, assisting the government and forfeiting assets, I can begin to make it right at the time. He also, as you just so eloquently described, I don't know where his parents went to school, but he did come from what would pass in America as blue blood. Can I ask you about the central idea here, which is Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. As a former Chief Economist of the Bank of Ireland, have you ever been tempted to buy cryptocurrency? Have you ever thought Bitcoin is the big new idea? Because some people claim, and I've met one or two of them, to have made quite a lot of money out of Bitcoin, buying it when others were skeptical and selling it 
when it went through the roof as it has on occasions. Yeah, I too have met plenty of people who have who claim to have made money in Bitcoin. It's something that is tradable on exchanges like FTX. Bitcoin is but one example out of many different uh, cryptocurrencies, and there are varieties of cryptocurrencies that have different characteristics. Some are just created literally out of the ether and have not, nothing backing them uh, and are very murky indeed. Bitcoin, at the very least, involves a huge amount of computing power to create, to actually manufacture a Bitcoin, requires banks and banks of computers solving deep mathematical puzzles really? set up by the founder of Bitcoin. Mm. And uh, there is a problem in whether these computers consume an awful lot of power. It's not a very green enterprise. And one of the, the attractions of Bitcoin is that its supply is finite. Once a certain amount has been manufactured, that's going to be it. Yes. There's, a, there's an ancillary or related uh, way of bookkeeping these things called the blockchain, which is uh, a, essentially a ledger. A, a set of books with accounts that are distributed across tens of thousands, if not millions of computers, that manages to keep an awful lot of this anonymous. And also, to an extent, keeps it honest in that you are able, via these blockchain accounts, to have either be able to deposit or withdraw your bitcoins. And then you go to an exchange like FTX to swap them for dollars or pounds or euros. Ultimately I couldn't go to the Bank of Ireland, could I, with a bag of I, bitcoins? No, absolutely not. Could so one of the Brown Thomas? Absolutely. Well, there are some stores in the world. I don't think Brown Thomas are one. There are some places around the world that will accept Bitcoin. Right. Um, if it, you will see them in some of the, the more interesting parts of the world. They're, they're, they're noticeable by how small in number they are, but there are some places that purport to accept Bitcoin for transactions. And you could have bought some Bitcoin when it was worth virtually nothing and then sold it at its peak price of if memory serves of around sixty to seventy thousand dollars a coin, and you therefore could have made a fortune. You could have bought it at sixty to seventy thousand dollars, and at today's price of just under thirty thousand dollars, I think it is, you could have lost a fortune. So you could have made lost fortunes trading this thing. Bitcoin isn't the only cryptocurrency. There are lots of others. There's something called stable coins, which, unlike being sort of stored on the blockchain, are purported to be backed by dollars or pounds or euros, usually dollars, in order to, to mimic uh, some, you know, some currencies have that kind. The Hong Kong dollar is an example of a currency that's backed by dollars. In the old days, we used to back currencies with gold. Now, in all of this discussion, it's important to remember that you know, currencies are a very funny thing. They, they are, uh, reveal a lot about us as human beings in terms of the deep psychology. Money only works, whether it's the euro in your pocket or a Bitcoin in your blockchain wallet, if you believe that other people are going to accept your euro or your Bitcoin in exchange for something, goods, services, whatever. And in, in many ways, money is a huge confidence trick. Certainly, it's a confidence game. And confidence in a lot of these things has been lost. Bitcoin is trading, as I say, below half of what it was, but it still has a positive price. Some of these other cryptocurrencies have come and gone, and people have been defrauded. The blockchain itself has not been immune to fraud. People have managed to get into these wallets and steal the Bitcoins. FTX, the exchange, is not the first crypto exchange to go wallop. It's happened before. Uh, you might remember this time last year, there was a huge uh, crypto, quasi-crypto-related thing going on in the art world called 
NFTs, non-fungible tokens, where the, where virtual artworks were changing hands for huge sums of money, often in the form of crypto. And uh, the most amazing thing about these works of art, a bit like the crypto in which we're talking about in, in, in the context of SBF, is that they've all turned out, most of them, if not all of them, to be utterly worthless, actually. Um, how, how you... You know, so a lot of this is based on fluff. And you asked me if I've ever done it myself. No, I haven't. No. Yes, I have met people who have. And one of the things that will happen is that if these things do become substantive and uh, more reliable, shall we say, and less prone to fraud than they are, is that the world's central banks will step in and start issuing their own cryptocurrencies. And there have been dark hints that they're going to do that. My own sense is that they, these these things are currencies, um, answers to problems that don't exist. The only people's problems that these cryptocurrencies address are fantasists who want to live, live off the grid. In other words, to live a libertarian life free of government uh, surveillance and control and taxes, by the way. And all of these things enable some or all of that. And the other thing it facilitates is illegal money laundering. Or money, right. money laundering is always illegal. Illegal activities of all kinds. Crypto initially, Bitcoin especially, back in the day, in its early days, was the favorite for uh, drug dealers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Now, let me ask you this question. When FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried began and began to have success, it was backed by some of the world's top investors. That made him a billionaire 
and propelled him to international fame. He's a bit like Elon Musk. That it, It's a name that has a resonance, even though you're not quite sure what they do. We are a bit clearer about Elon Musk now, but he was around for a long time, and we did a podcast about it two years ago. Who is Elon Musk, and why is everyone pissed off at him? But Sam Bankman-Fried was known to me, but the point I, the question I want to ask you, Chris, and who better to ask, why would some of the world's top investors buy into this scam? It goes back to what I was saying about the nature of crypto, the nature of money, hmm. and why people have flocked to crypto, not just these big venture capital firms. Because what the firms that you're talking about are, tip, are firms that would have funded uh, Elon Musk in his early stage. They'd be yes. early stage investors, right. they'd be venture capitalists, private right. equity firms, and they would fall into one of two or both categories. First of all, my little diatribe that I went on there about saying that I think it's all a piece of fluff and it's something that appeals to fantasists, people who want to live off the grid and drug dealers, is rejected by a lot of people. People, There are people out, many people out there who genuinely, passionately believe that Bitcoin is the future, the future of money. Yes, I know a couple of, of people who keep telling me I should get Bitcoin, and they are very passionate in their advocacy. Oh, they're very passionate, and, and these beliefs are sincerely held, and, and, and we must acknowledge that. And as I say, they, 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 I think that that's akin to believing once upon a time that pet rocks and tulip bulbs had value, both... Uh, yes. We have episodes in monetary history where both those things were, were true. People did believe. And as I say, if enough people believe something, then it is true. Um, these things get, get very circular. You, the, these things get pulled up by their own bootstraps. And so, and I acknowledge that. And I respect other people's beliefs. I respect the fact that other people disagree with me when I say that I do not think that this, these, these things are real. Um, a lot of people tell me that I'm wrong, and I, and I respect that. And venture capitalists know this. So venture capitalists would, would either share those beliefs and say, well, actually, these things are the future, or they'd be more hard-headed about this and say, I don't care whether these things really are the future or not. I can see enough people do believe it. So there is money to be made. It may only be made for a short or medium term. This may not, I don't care whether Bitcoin lasts 10 or 20 years or not. If it's going to last a couple of years, then there is money to be made. Right. And there's money to be made. It's a bit like in a gold rush, you want to be the guy that sells the shovels to the miners. Yes. And this is what these venture capitalists are doing. They were funding Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX, the exchange, where everybody whether they were right or wrong to believe in Bitcoin, they were going to trade Bitcoin on Sam's exchange. So therefore, let's own a bit of Sam's exchange. That's where the money is going to be made. Right. The other way of making money out of Bitcoin, of course, is to just buy it. That's not what these funders typically do. They are the people that make the equipment for the gold rush rather than do the mining themselves. Right. And so that and, and so they they gave Sam when he did his various fundraising rounds, which is what early stage companies do, they go to these venture capitalists and say, I've got this business idea, I've got this business up and running. I need some more money to to employ some more people yes. to do more stuff. They say, okay, here's another billion dollars. And they get shares in return. Now Caroline Ellison is going to be the star witness, I think, against him. She was a friend of his, a girlfriend. They had a kind of turbulent relationship. But Alison herself is interesting. She also 
came from what might be called blue blood. Her parents were academics at MIT, which is... Economists, actually. Yes, which is one of the most, as you know, prestigious institutions in the world, actually. She competed in high school maths contests. She moved to California. She studied at Stanford. That's where she met Bankman Freed. And she got involved. And she ran Alameda, which is the company that he transferred people's money to and the company where eventually the scam collapsed. Now, she's going to, I think, she has, I think, been flipped by the prosecutors and she's going to say, yes, that this was a scam. What fascinates me, and I wonder what you've got to say about it and and our listeners will, Chris, these are, you know, lucky kids. They're born into wealth, highly educated, highly intelligent, and yet they've turned to this sort of, well, it's criminality of a high order, isn't it? Well, we don't know precisely, not yet anyway, what went on. And do you remember Nick Leeson? Yes. He brought down, he nearly brought down the the city of London's financial system a long time ago, back in the 90s. He worked for a, a very august, blue-blooded firm called Bering Brothers. Mm. And his story, I think, is instructive in what probably happened here, in that he started to, to do things that were on the edge of what was, uh, from a legal point of view, okay, and probably crossed that line a few times. Never actually made any money for himself, but started doing things, something, a big bet that he made on behalf of his firm went wrong. Until that point, he'd made a lot of money for his firm and for himself. Then doing something that went wrong, he doubled down. He didn't tell his firm that he'd lost money. He started putting his trading chits in the drawer, and it all escalated from there. But he never actually enriched himself. The way in which uh, FTX and Alameda started out making their money was quite legal and quite proper, and it involved... It wasn't actually that different to the way Nick Leeson actually made money. Is that one of the things that happens? Nick Leeson was trading in Japanese shares, and he noticed that the price of shares on one stock exchange was ever so slightly different to the price on another, and that involves and that invites somebody a yes. fast trading mentality with an ability to move quickly to do something called arbitrage. You buy yes. the one that's uh, cheap and you sell the one that's expensive almost instantaneously if you can and always locking in a huge profit. Bankman Freed noticed, and I think Ellison also was part of this, that Bitcoin on different exchanges around the world, particularly in Asia versus America, traded at slightly different prices. Yes. And so they made huge bets on these different prices. They're not bets, actually, because it's not gambling. Gambling is about taking risks. This was risk-free money. So I think they made a lot of money early on, which encouraged these people to back them. Um, and I think they ran out of those kinds of easy money opportunities and then started doing pretty daft things rather than buying and selling Bitcoin at the same time, which is easy, free money, risk-free. They then started doing things like simply buying Bitcoin, which right. if, it goes, if it goes up, that's great. If it goes down, you've bet on a losing horse. Greed is at the heart of this, isn't it, Chris? Oh, there's greed everywhere. And as you say, these people were from an incredibly privileged background. They came from a moneyed background. They were at the heart of establishment society, such as it is in the United States. 
and they just wanted more. And it's the, the that answer to the, you know, we could ask this question about Elon Musk, we could ask this question about ourselves. How much is enough, Eamon? And the answer is always, it always seems to be more. Um, none of us are ever prepared to say we've got enough, are we? And then arguably that's one of the reasons why we've got these kids running into the problems here. It's arguably one of the reasons why we've got so many problems everywhere. Um, but clearly nothing is enough for these people. Right. A final thought, Chris, and we're very grateful to you for talking us through this. This scam they ran where there's fractions of prices in different Computerization helps enormously. Oh, absolutely, because what you have is that you have two screens in front of you. Bang, bang. One showing, one yeah. showing you the price of the Bitcoin in Tokyo, one showing you the price of the Bitcoin in New York. And the difference might be minute, but if you've got several billion dollars yep. to, ch to chuck around by, with the press of a button or the click of a mouse, that's how you make your money. Okay. We're very grateful to you, Chris, for warning us what not to do and telling us what we might do if we really get hungry. Chris Johns is former chief economist at Bank of Ireland. We're very grateful to him. To all of you for listening to us, that's all we have time for now. We're going off to do a few trades. Talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.